My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. I get turned on, but then it feels like knives when I try to have sex. The pain is so intense, I can't even put a tampon in. I'm afraid no one will want me because intercourse is so painful. These comments from listeners over the years are heart-wrenching and also, as you'll learn more about today, not uncommon. We are going to explore sexual pain with fabulous expert, Kena Cassard. Kena is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sex therapist in Venice here in Southern California with expertise in depression, anxiety, substance abuse, compulsive behaviors, and addiction. Her areas of Specialty include sexual difficulties, including sexual pain, sexual identity issues, sexual compulsive behaviors. She believes that every person has an innate desire and ability to reach their potential. Through the use of psychotherapy, she educates and collaborates with clients to enhance their strength, peace, and happiness. Ultimately, she believes that balance is an excellent tool to navigate one's path to a more fulfilled and healthier life. Such a beautiful mission. And a quick note that we'll be titling this episode, female sexual pain, but this also applies to anybody with a vulva. Thank you so much for joining me, Kena. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. As we were just chatting about, this is such an important topic, Mm -hmm. and I feel under-addressed for a lot of different reasons. And I know you came to this work through some personal experience. Mm -hmm. Could you share a bit about your own journey? Sure. I started trying to become or develop my field and my career when I was in college. So around 2006 or so, I became a sexuality educator. Once I graduated from college, I decided I wanted to become a marriage and family therapist specializing in sex therapy issues. It was just a passion I had. It was something that was um, particularly interesting and and it really captured my attention. While I was doing that process, so over the course of several, several years, I was also having my own personal experience of of pelvic pain issues. And I was passed from doctor to doctor, from gynecologist to gynecologist, trying to figure out what was going on. And meanwhile, again, this is over the course of years, I it was impacting my relationship, it was impacting my lifestyle. And I felt really alone because even the medical professionals had no idea what to do with me. So, you know, imagine how disheartening that is. And um, there was one nurse practitioner who, like, was like, okay, we're going to try and figure this out. So she did some research. She kept sending me articles. But she was still coming up with very little to almost nothing. And then she moved, and I felt like all of my... um, all of my hope around this issue was kind of just gone. So I went on a little bit of a hiatus um, trying to in trying to figure it out. I just thought, well, it's just something I'm going to have to live with and I'll have to figure out how to do that. And when I moved to Los Angeles, again, still pursuing my therapy career, still pursuing sex therapy and trying to 
maybe figure out what was going on for me while I was doing this. I was connected with a um, researcher here in Los Angeles. She's a researcher and gynecologist based out of UCLA. And she talked to me about a treatment course that could be helpful for women with pelvic pain. And this was the first time that anybody had acknowledged that this was That must a have been amazing. Did it, you feel like euphoric that oh there was a possibility? It, it was almost unreal. Like I thought, wow, there's here's like this treatment plan was created 10 years ago. How come nobody knew about this? And how come, you know, all of the, I think I had been to probably 10 doctors at that point over the course of several years. Wow. And nobody had known about it. So um, in my work in connection with the gynecologist and other physical therapists that I found who were specializing in it in Los Angeles, I realized that there was actually finally hope. And, and that I wasn't alone. Here was a doctor who was working with other patients who had what I was having. And so um, the idea and creation of a treatment and support group on a psychological level came to fruition. And so, and then I started to treat individuals and couples who were struggling with this pain issue. And um, it's, it's really been a focus of mine because I don't want, if it's at all possible, I don't want any woman out there to go through what I've been through trying to figure out what was going on. And oftentimes my clients come to me saying, a very similar story. Like mm-hmm. I thought I was broken. Even the quotes you said earlier in the beginning, just yep. they wrench my heart and like tears come to my eyes because I've heard that so many times and I felt it. Mm. And now I know like, okay, there is treatment for it and there are resources. So it's it's been really not only personally healing for, for my psyche, knowing that there's stuff out there and available for women, but um, through the journey that I've had, I've been able to become pain-free. And so I also know that there are options at work. And and that's like the biggest, most exciting part of this as well. I bet. Yeah. For yeah. one thing to not, to be told we don't know what this is must be so disheartening. But then on top of that, that means you may never, you know, you're feeling like you may never find sort of freedom or, or healing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that's huge. So what right. were some of the steps that, that helped you and that, that also you've passed on and and you help others find? Well, the most important thing is to find a specialist who knows about it, and especially a specialist, um, a a gynecologist, so some sort of a medical professional that can um, take a, you know, take a look at what's going on, run some tests, um, do some internal work. So talking with a gynecologist is, is first and foremost somebody who knows, a gynecologist that knows about pelvic pain. That's, I think, the first and foremost to get a, a diagnosis. Is that, I would imagine, or I would hope that gynecologists, that seems like that would be a really important thing for them all to know, but obviously you weren't always yeah. finding that. So how do you find out if you're going to a gynecologist? Do you, do you make the appointment or when you call, do you actually say, you know, I'm dealing with pain. Is this something they specialize in? I would recommend that. Um, also talking, you know, I'm, I'm always available to provide references or do some research if, a, if somebody calls and maybe they're not in Los Angeles and they need some help trying to find something, I'm happy to help somebody out knowing that I've been through that path and I kind of know what to look for. But ultimately, I think even just Googling pelvic pain gynecologists um, or asking the gynecologist when when they call to make an appointment. Okay. Definitely. And, and then the, the next step in the treatment would be to also work with a pelvic floor therapist. So this is like a, um, a pelvic therapist, sorry, a uh, physical therapist who has specialization in pelvic floor dysfunction. 
And so having them on board to address the muscular structure of what's going on in the vaginal muscles and the pelvic floor muscles is going to be the next step. And for some women, that's enough. Some women just need it to be acknowledged that this is a thing and there might be some medical treatment or some pelvic floor work that they need to do to sort of release the muscle tension. And that affects them in wonderful ways and, and they're, they find that they can be pain-free. For other women, it's created somewhat of a cycle of anxiety and stress and relationship difficulties, lots of shame. Um, and so those women might need a little bit more assistance with a psychotherapist. So somebody, again, who specializes in pelvic floor issues and um, pelvic pain issues. Um, and that was my own personal journey as well, is getting on board with a therapist and also having my own knowledge about it. Sure, sure. So I imagine there are many different factors that contribute to the pain. Mm -hmm. What are some of the more common causes of pelvic pain and, and pain during sex? Oftentimes, what I've been experiencing is that a, a lack of awareness of the body, so really a, a disconnection between the body and, and the mind, um, but also somebody who has a lot of anxiety, um, just like a lot of people hold tension or stress in their necks or in their backs, some people hold it in their pelvic floor. So a lot of times what happens is that there is muscle tension and pressure in the pelvic floor, and that causes inflamed tissues, which can also cause um, really sensitive nerve endings. So it can be a wide range of things from the type of birth control a woman has been using for a long period of time because it affects the, horm the natural hormones that are in the vulva. And so that can affect the skin tissue, that can affect lubrication, or it can be on the other end of um, psychological components, such as growing up in a household that um, sex was shamed or sex was not even talked about. And so there's this fear of the unknown around sex and sexuality, and there isn't an, an embraced sense of sexuality for a woman um, or other oppressive experiences that they've had around sexuality. So it can run a gamut. It can be a combination of things. And I think that's really helpful for women, at least the women that I've worked with, is kind of addressing all the different aspects that have impacted the sexual functioning and their ability to see what sex is for them. Mm. So it's it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. It's such a multifaceted issue. Sure. And I imagine the benefits are also multifaceted. So, for example, if, if you're experiencing shame that contributed to the pain, and then you may have shame around the pain, the, mm -hmm. the consequences, but at the same time, I know from personal experience, not with um, pelvic pain, but with embracing sexuality and mm -hmm. undoing shame how mighty those benefits are mm -hmm. beyond sex, like beyond the actual sexual acts, but mm -hmm. as far as embracing your full self and feeling much more authentic and alive. Mm -hmm. For you, what was sort of the, was there like a, a turning point or was it a very, once you started getting the help mm -hmm. and, and in general, I guess, do you see that people sort of gradually make steps forward or are there these kind of big aha moments? Mm -hmm. For me, the aha moment was um, surrounding myself with a lot of really wonderful women <clears throat> and women who embrace the female empowerment and the female spirit of just honoring that sacred space and allowing me to kind of 
just be whoever I was with emotions and experiences and then also being able to process that and and have that internalized that who I am is okay the sexuality that I want to bring to my life is okay and also that things have happened in the past that aren't necessarily the greatest thing but that now I know how to manage my body and be okay in the in the body that I'm in. Mm, yeah. So it was it was those combinations of having really powerful females around me, um, and in addition to doing some self care around my body, like acupuncture and exercise and stretching, and so incorporating that mind body spirit aspect, which yeah. is a really big component of the treatment that I do with with the women that I work with. Nice, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I know there are lots of myths about sexual pain, partly mm-hmm. because Again, it's not talked about a lot and not everybody has even experts in physical health may not be super aware of certain things. And one myth that you have addressed is the role of uh, personal trauma or abuse. Mm-hmm. What, what do people generally believe about abuse and pain? Yeah, a, a lot of clients come into me or over the phone when we're doing consultation And they'll say, I don't know why I have this pain. It doesn't make sense to me. I haven't had any abuse. I haven't had any molestation. I haven't had any overt assault um, or any of these what I call overt big T traumas. Um, And and so that in itself, when, when they look at their past and they're like, I haven't had any of these things. So why am I experiencing mm-hmm. this pain? Like that that's sense. what would normally cause it is what they're assuming. Right, right. And and so that, you know, having that myth just kind of brings its own shame because women think like there must be something wrong with me because I haven't had those experiences that I'm assuming. Like they can't justify it somehow. Right, exactly, exactly. So that's a really big myth that a lot of people hold, even people who don't have pain. When I tell um, you know, people that I'm talking to that I work with this kind of pain, they say, oh, so that's caused by like uh, rape or, you know, assault or something like that. And I, you know, have to correct them all the time and say, no, actually, you know, it's it's a lot more complex. And there's all these little T traumas that people experience as well that we don't realize impact us so much, but actually gets registered in the body as as a traumatic experience. Sure. Or is just, you know, tension or energy in the body that has to be kind of addressed and processed and released. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I know that life events can change so many parts of our sexuality or affect our our sexuality, including, you know, hormonal shifts and childbirth and all this. We actually have a question from a listener uh, who sent this for Dr. Megan. I'd love to hear what you have to say as well. Uh, She wrote this. I'm into BDSM, so some amount of pain tends to be a turn-on. But ever since having a child, I have vaginal pain during sex, which is a huge turn-off. Why is some pain hot and other pain not so much? Also, does this kind of pain go away on its own? I can have intercourse with lube, but only for a short time before it feels uncomfortable. Such an interesting question, which I think is, you know, some people are turned on by pain, mm-hmm. but that's optional pain, you know, pain yes. that they're, they're seeking out. And uh, here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Well, I think it has all to do with context, you know, the, the context and the person. And the reality is, is, you know, there's a pain that we choose and we're allowing. And then there's a pain that's, you know, just happening within our body. And the biggest thing I want to say here is, go see your gynecologist because having pain after a vaginal birth 
consistently with penetration, you know, it, it, it's a flag to me. It could be a vulvar pain disorder. It could be a uh, vulvar vestibulitis, um, vulvodynia. You know, so many nerves are, you know, related in, in terms of childcare and she may or may not have had tear episiotomy. Like we want to rule out um, that there may be a, an underlying pain condition, which is very separate than when you're playing erotically with pain. And and I think the big point there is, you know, in BDSM, you're working it up slowly. You know, you're using mild sensations and you're building it up over time. And that, that then ultimately can release the endorphins and the rush that can kind of feel like a runner's high. Um, it's kind of like the, I don't know if you know the story about the frog in the water. Like, you know, if you put him in a cold pot of water and you slowly turn up the heat, he, you know, he's not going to jump out. <laughs> but, you know, if you put him in the hot pot already, like if you just whack somebody without any buildup, chances are that would be painful and not in a pleasant way. But if you mildly build up the sensation, you might be like, oh, that feels good, you know? And I think that that is an important piece of why in BDSM, the experience of pain um, and again, the endorphins um, associated with that makes it a very different experience. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Such such good points. What would you add, Kena? Yeah, I would agree. It's it's completely about context. Um, about you know you you don't choose the pain when it's pelvic pain, um, especially after ha- after having a child with BDSM. It's it's a choice, but in addition to that, it's a little bit more controlled in the sense that the submissive or the person who is receiving the pain infliction or the sensation play they have that ultimate choice of saying their safe word and just completely stopping all of the pain at whatever point they feel like they need to. And so there's an agreed power exchange and and pain exchange happening. Whereas with the pelvic pain, there isn't a stopping point except for to stop the sexual activity, but then the, the pain still might linger. Um, and I think seeing a gynecologist, but in addition to seeing a gynecologist, seeing somebody who specializes in um, pelvic pain beyond what is natural, normal after birth, after having birth. I think that that would be important as well, because like Dr. Megan was saying, there could be a lot of different components. Um, it could be a different diagnosis and treatment is different depending on what the diagnosis is. Yeah. And one other thing I think I would like to mention too about the BDSM play versus the pelvic pain um, experiences is that sometimes not always, but sometimes the pain inflicted or the sensations inflicted in, in BDSM is a little bit more surface level. So it's on the skin or like uh, the surface muscles that might bruise after some play. But with pelvic pain, it's a little bit deeper muscles and um, there's also nerve endings involved as well. And so those are kind of a little bit harder to reach and treat. Um, and they, they kind of linger a little bit more a little bit longer than most BDSM play. Okay, that's such a really good point. And as far as the pain levels, I imagine there's a huge range. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy, too, to kind of write off like a little discomfort and go, oh, well, it's not as bad as it could be, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about the severity of pain and when it actually is an issue that, like, Mm -hmm. is is deserving of, of help? Sure. So most women at some point in their life that experience penetrative pain, a penetration of some sort, whether it's a finger or a sex toy or a penis, they will experience some discomfort at some point just because we've got a lot going on down there. And, you know, anything from stress to the time of our month could affect um, how well our vulvas are reciprocating 
um, attention. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, if it happens once or twice, you know, over a lifetime, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if it's a consistent ongoing pain that, that has very little relief, um, either if somebody is constantly having pain without it being provoked, so if they're just sitting in a chair or um, walking around the house, if they're having pain in that sense and it's not going away, definitely, definitely see a specialist. If every time that sex occurs or penetration occurs, then I would also, re- and, and there's pain, I would mm-hmm. recommend seeing a specialist if it, if it doesn't go away after a few days. Sure. Because that that is cause for concern because the body is really, um, it's really resilient and it can heal up from a momentary of having some discomfort or, you know, an infection or something. But if it's ongoing after several days and it hasn't healed up, that's when I would seek a specialist. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned safe words Mm -hmm. and how nice that would be if Mm -hmm. like you were experiencing pelvic pain (laughs) could be like, bell or whatever it is that you say. (laughs) Banana Uh, suit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Gone, presto. Uh, But I imagine that some people will continue having penetration, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's for the, they want it themselves and they're trying to have pleasure, they want that release, or I think it could be easy also to to want to please a partner. And, Mm -hmm. you know, do you find that people sometimes, you know, sort of, I guess, grin and bear it? And is that something that you would discourage? I would absolutely discourage it. Um, It's completely understandable because a lot of women have pressure to be obligatory to their partners. And um, a lot of times women have a feeling of, well, you know, this is my my problem. My partner shouldn't have to suffer because it's my problem. And there's, you know, I'm broken. Why should they have to be, feel like they can't get their sexual needs met as well? And that's completely understandable that that happens. And it's, it's very common. Um, but what happens is that it just continues that cycle of pain and irritation around sexuality so that not only do we have to address the pain in treatment, but we also have to uncouple this combination of sex equals pain and sexual sexuality equals pain. Because what happens if it goes on for too long, female partners start to pull away. Um, the partner who's experiencing pain starts to pull away at any advance that their partner gives them. So even a handhold or a kiss, it, to them, it starts to remind them of, oh, this might lead to penetration, which leads to pain, and I don't want to even do that. And so then what happens, too, is that we have to deal with the anorgasmia or the lack of, lack of orgasm or lack of arousal and desire. So a lot of times women have... Um, involuntarily shut down their arousal and desire systems because it to them it just equates emotional or psychological or sorry emotional or physical pain for them sure. so definitely getting it addressed a lot sooner mm-hmm. rather than grinning and bearing it because if you have years of all of this built up that's years you have to kind of undo and sure. it's, it's not hopeless but um, the sooner that it's dealt with the easier it is to return back to a normal state of functioning or get to a, a not normal, but healthy state of functioning where where it feels good for everybody involved. And do you see these issues in other genders as well? Like, do men ever, mm-hmm. not ever, I'm sure somebody does, but how, mm-hmm. I guess, common or versus women? Right. It's, it's definitely less common um, for men to have pain during penetration, but it happens. And um, they're usually medically based, and so it's a little bit easier to treat. They're, and especially um, 
there's a lot more information and research and treatment options available for men. So it's in my office, it's a lot less common, but it definitely happens. And then when we consider um, trans, transgender, transsexuals, there is a much bigger complexity of issues around having a reconstruction and, um, a, or I'm sorry, a gender affirming surgery. And there are a lot of pain issues that co- can come with that as well. Um, and that is common to have, but um, I haven't seen it in my office, and I've been mainly working with um, cisgender women. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And when it comes to talking to a partner, mm-hmm. you know, that I know can get feel awkward, or especially if maybe it's a newer relationship, or maybe you've just never talked about, you know, a lot of people just don't really talk about sex as much, like they'll have it, but without talking about it. Any tips for talking to a partner about these issues? Yeah, so it's it's harder, especially with a new partner. So if if a female has had this pain and they're they're dating and they're wanting to talk with a a new partner about this, it can be a a bit of a challenge. It can be harder. Um, one way that I like to recommend women to think about it, because a lot of women hold shame around this, is that it's really similar to a male not being able to maintain an erection as he wishes he could or being able to um, ejaculate when he would prefer to ejaculate. So if if somebody is um, having early ejaculation or erectile difficulties, I sort of frame it in that way and think about um, suggesting the woman to maybe even open it up to that in talking with a man about, about what they're going through and saying like, so you know how you would feel like, or imagine if you would feel let me go back. <laughs> if if a, a female wanted to talk to her partner about this or a new partner, sort of trying to play up that aspect of um, a lot of men hold a lot of shame if they can't feel like they're functioning in a way that makes them feel healthy and, um, you know, functioning, quote unquote, normally. And so there's a little bit of shame that I happen to have around some fu- functioning issues that I'm trying to work through right now. And so um, kind of framing it in that way helps because a lot of guys can understand like, oh, yeah, I know how I would feel if I couldn't yeah. keep it up. And it's the not way about you. It's not right. like you're not doing this to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, talking about it in that way, um, but definitely having some support um, from maybe a female who has who understands and would be empathic in in supporting this person in talking through. I think that would be really helpful to have like a girlfriend to be able to talk to or a specialist. Um, And then and then just being upfront with with the partner and saying this is something I'm working through and and I really just need to go slow um, and be a little bit more in control. However, there are some other women who have this pain that don't want to be in control necessarily. So you know, it really depends on each person what would be the best, most helpful way to talk about partners, talk about it with partners. But mm-hmm. um, I think definitely talking about it ahead of time before um, it happens. jumping into it. Yeah. And then yeah. talking about it afterwards is is mo- more helpful. Yeah. And it's probably one of those things, too, where I feel like whenever there's something that's challenging to talk about and the thing that we're nervous to talk about usually ends up being, first of all, usually not as scary as mm-hmm. as we think like we can build it up in our heads a lot or mm-hmm. or or assume someone's going to react in this really harsh way and 
and also can potentially increase intimacy, right? To absolutely to have those conversations. Yeah, yeah, it can be really intimacy building because um, if a woman's talking with her, a future partner or a potential partner about this, it opens her up in, in a vulnerable way. And if the partner's receptive, then they've they've created and taken a step toward intimacy that can only benefit their relationship. If the partner isn't receptive, that's a little bit of a flag of, of like, how is the partner going to handle some issues in the future if you yeah. need to talk about these things? Better to know that sooner than later. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So wanting to find somebody who is willing to, to hear it and work with it and say, how can I help? And I'm yeah. here for you. And, and I don't think it's a shameful thing. Let's let's try and work on this together. Absolutely. You talk a lot about a holistic approach, the mm-hmm. mind, body, spirit, mm-hmm. which I think it's easy to think. This would be you go to a physical, you have a physical, you see your gynecologist, they give you medicine, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but this is so much more multifaceted mm-hmm. and nuanced. Mm-hmm. Could you speak to kind of the soul spirit portion? Sure. So a lot of times um, we find as adults, we kind of have lacked play in our lives or um, we've had so many responsi- like responsibilities and adulting that we have to do. Um, school and work and managing the house and cleaning up and managing our finances, that we lose that element of playfulness and we lose creativity, we lose access to it, um, or we, we lose being exposed to it a lot more often. And so in addition to working on the emotional and psychological components of the pain and helping clients manage the, um, the physical aspects as well as the medical, I really want to invite them to find some outlet for playtime or some outlet for creativity, something that is going to ignite their their life passion, whatever that might be, if it's a hobby, if it's exercise, if it's sitting on the beach and journaling, just something that opens up that creative aspect of themselves. Because when having to deal with any sort of medical issue, in addition to life, it's it's just so hard. It's It's much easier to just do all the tasks and then go to bed. And we forget to take that moment for self-care. And when we can enhance that, we can open up a lot more room for our bodies to heal because we're not so stressed yeah. and having that self-care is so important to to the healing of, of most medical issues, actually. I love that you shared that, too, because it's not a sexual thing. Right. You know, right. it's like when we get really hyper focused on, you know, there's this saying I've, I've heard different ways, but sex is only a problem. Like it's the whole focus when it's a problem but it's a small part of your life when it's mm-hmm. just like a normal part of your life. Like, right. you know, and so when it becomes the focus, it's like. If I need to do everything I can in the bedroom right, or, right. or with my partner or whatever. And and to know that actually like journaling on the beach could actually be really helpful. Right. I think mean, that's pretty amazing. Right. I'm glad you you made that um that connection or that point of like it's not playtime sexually, it's playtime for yourself. And I don't mean masturbation. I mean like literal playtime. Get out and do something that makes you laugh and giggle and like and enjoy and stop and smell, smell the roses. So it's it's playtime in a sense of bringing back that childlike quality that we got to have when we didn't have all these responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. And earlier you'd mentioned girlfriend time and talking mm-hmm. to a girlfriend. And I can't even tell you how powerful that is. You oh, know, yeah. it's like, thank God for our friends. And, yeah. you know, we really we really should. And, and to feel comfortable reaching out, mm-hmm. which I think is another thing a lot of women struggle with. I mm-hmm. know I have, too. It's like mm-hmm. when you feel you're an independent person and you're trying to get it all done and you're maybe taking care of others um, or just really busy at work or whatever, 
to go, you know, sometimes when we're vulnerable, it's actually really good to be vulnerable and it's mm-hmm. okay and it's okay to reach out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's even, um, you know, oxytocin, the bondy ho- hormone is is ignited when, actually, when we're really stressed. It's ex- There's a little bit that gets released because it motivates us for social contact. And then when we get to have that intimate building and that bonding with, especially with a girlfriend um, or, you know, somebody who's not necessarily your significant other, then it increases more oxytocin, which then is, you know, also feel good hormone. So it's, it's great all over for your body too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You mentioned masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I imagine as you're, so you're working through healing, say you found your specialist, you're getting therapy, that kind of thing. How important is that kind of play as well? Like, should you start with yourself and make sure that it's not painful? Does it, or can it go both ways? I think it depends um, a lot on each woman. Um, Some women have a um, very comfortable practice of masturbation. And so uh, having a, a homework assignment of, okay, masturbate and be mindful of what you're doing and how you're touching yourself and what feels good. Um, that can be a very easy task. For some women, they don't, they haven't had a practice of masturbation um, at all or maybe even very little. And so we might even start a step, you know, um, taking kind of a step back and not jumping in so quickly into that. And so it might just be a practice of um, feel your hands on your body, maybe on your arm or maybe on your thighs and just breathing through it and see what it's like. So doing some sort of sensational touching might be might be helpful. Um, so it, it depends on where the woman is at with her own personal sexuality and practice and comfort level. And knowing that it's okay wherever you are, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because yeah. we all start somewhere. Yeah. And we all have to and be okay with exactly where we're at, even though that's such a struggle. I say it as though it's an easy thing. Like, yeah. just be okay with where you're at. But that is such a, it is. Such a struggle for a lot of people. Especially in, we have a very performance-based culture. So mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. we see sex as this, like, very specific thing. And it has to be orgasmic and, and amazingly orgasmic right. every time and, right. and spontaneous mm-hmm. and, and all those things. And it's easy to kind of compare ourselves to societal ideals and, and just to know that it's totally and – and that you're not alone. Right. So many other people are yes. experiencing it. Yes, that is the tagline for my group when I started. It was like, you are not alone in this because a lot of women in this experience do feel like they are. And they're not. We're, we're here. We're out there. Tell us more about these groups. So I have a process group. I was, also, I was doing two different types of groups. So one was a treatment group that was short, um, short-term basis, time-limited to 10 sessions. And it was a lot of um, psychoeducation, so providing resources and information on how to manage the pain, how to manage anxiety and stress. And what I was finding was that they would end up becoming a lot of processing, which I know is also important too. And so trying to fit the two in to a two-hour session with, you know, five women, it, it wasn't giving everybody the time that I know that they needed. So I'm also doing a second group now that is a weekly ongoing process group where it does have a little bit of information in it, but it's not heavily based on that. And then I also utilize techniques like stress management techniques in the beginning, like doing some mindfulness, some grounding. And then the majority of it is is devoted to the time that the women need to discuss with each other about what they've been through, what kind of support they're needing to really develop that intimacy and really develop a space for them to be able to talk about what they are going through because most women just kind of have their own mind to go over it with and they need somewhere to share it and somebody else to help them 
uh, move through this experience. So beautiful. those are happening weekly in my office in Venice. And uh, it's it's really beautiful. Really good group. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. Give us an idea of what healing is like and kind of the rewards that people that you've experienced, that mm-hmm. people you work with experience. Because I think, like you said, if, if we aren't really aware, if we feel really alone, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine mm-hmm. what what could come. You know, one of the um, greatest things that I heard from a client was, was saying even something as simple as like just wearing a tampon and wearing, being able to wear pants. Some women have such pain that they can't even wear jeans anymore. And it was determining exactly what they had to do and how, where they had to be. They planned their entire life around it. And so now this client in particular is able to just kind of do whatever she wants to do. She she feels like the doors have just opened to to how she wants to live her life, not only how she dresses, but on the other end of like being sexual in any sexual way that she wants to. If she desires sex and her partner is receptive to it, then they can have sex. And for her, it doesn't come anymore with this big weight. So I think that's the biggest thing that that I've seen and that I've personally experienced is that it feels like a weight is lifted off the shoulders and it feels free to be able to have this natural experience without shame or guilt or pain or anxiety or stress. And then when when we're not so focused on the pain and, and what is going on with that, then the the rest of the li- of life just kind of improves because we can put so much more energy in other places that really enhance our passion and enhance our our vitality for life. And so it it just kind of it's like the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. This kind of gets fixed, and then everything kind of tends to improve. So I think that's that's kind of the after healing. That's sort of you know the optimal living state, which I definitely love helping my clients like get into that space and and explore like okay so now that you don't have to focus just on your pain anymore what else do you want to do and and let's get to that optimal place and yeah it's it's really rewarding and and beautiful to see expand out that's amazing Mm -hmm. that's amazing it sounds like a lot of this applies to pretty much anyone experiencing pelvic pain whether Mm -hmm. it's from a specific medical condition or from years of of societal messaging or shame Mm -hmm. Are there specific medical conditions that people should be aware of? Like, I know vaginismus is is one we hear about sometimes. Mm-hmm. Are there are there specific things that? Because I think a lot one thing that's natural to do is to go like, I'm going to Google vaginal pain, and all these things might come mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So, I guess how common are more of the physical factors that would actually need some sort of medical treatment versus more of the emotional mm-hmm. pieces. That's a good question. I don't know that I would have a very good specific answer for um, how common it is. And um, there's, and mainly because there's a lot of misdiagnoses happening. Um, so uh, a client will get a diagnosis of um, vulvar vestibulitis, for, for instance. And then it turns out, which is basically an inflammation of the vulva, and there are certain treatment um techniques can, that can be applied to it. But then we come to find out that it was really just vaginismus, which is just muscle, uh, involuntary muscle spasm, which was causing the inflammation on the vulva. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so complicated, but there are specific ones that I would um, recommend um, if there is a diagnosis, then getting medical treatment for it. So like uh, lichen sclerosis, um, 
I'm trying to think of the other ones are all escaping my brain right now. But, but they basically involve like inflammation or I, I imagine things like infections, yes, tears from absolutely childbirth or from mm-hmm. even misusing a sex toy or mm-hmm. all kinds of things could happen. Right, right. Yeah. And, and if they don't get um, treatment, like, you know, it, it happens. We have fissures and cuts in our vulva sometimes because they're sensitive tissues that if they don't clear up after a few days... Um, getting getting treatment and getting that addressed and and infections certainly if there's bacterial um, infections or yeast infections those need to be taken care of with with treatment products um, and then if there's ongoing pain after that um, yeah that's when would be you know cause for concern and I almost feel like the psychological support would be so helpful no matter what, right? Because I mm-hmm. think it could be overwhelming if you're like getting misdiagnosed or you're mm-hmm. people are saying what they said to you, like we don't know what this is. Yeah, you know, does is that a good uh, starting place? Would you say is what what should psychological good... like working with oh, a counselor, working yes. with a psychologist, a sex mm-hmm. sex clinician? Right, working working with a sex therapist can be can be really helpful. Um, a lot of times. I'll get calls um, from women saying really similarly what, to what you're addressing, which is, you know, they don't know what's going on. I've been diagnosed with this. I'm not really sure. And um, one of the things that I do with my clients is sort of a case management. So helping them figure out who is a good fit um, for what they need for physical therapy, for gynecology, um, gynecological issues, and then getting it sort of organized. And then um Typically, those medical professionals will end up giving them assignments to do, so like applying topical creams or doing um, muscle stretches, and it can be really overwhelming, so I help them sort of organize that. And I feel like that is a really big component that a lot of women don't get when they just see a gynecologist or a PT, um, is that they don't get somebody who's like, okay, I am your coach here. We're This is what we're going to do. Make sure you're doing it. I'm going to keep you accountable, and, and sort of like organizing that and helping them feel like it's a little bit more manageable than them just doing it on their own and and feeling sort of chaotic and not having somebody in their corner. Yeah. Having a team, like a support system, how to know you're not dealing with it alone and that, you know, even the affirmations of like, yeah, you're on track. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're doing well. Right. And the reminders too of, of the, the big or the little wins, celebrating them in a really big way. Um, Oftentimes the the goal for women is like, I just want to have pain-free sex. And it's like, that's a great goal. And let's get there someday. But if that's the only thing that we're looking for, we're not going to be able to celebrate all the little successes like being able to insert a tampon without pain. Like I will celebrate the mm-hmm. heck out of that experience yeah. because so many women haven't been able to do that. But if their only goal is to try to have pain-free sex, they don't see what a great progress that is in and, in and of itself. So celebrating all the little successes and having somebody remind you of this is actually a really, really big deal. And like, let's spend some time on the fact that yeah. you accomplished this because you've been working so hard at and it. And that freedom, like mm-hmm. being able to wear a tampon when, mm-hmm. you know, you're working out, you don't have this big floppy pad. And right, like, right. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and when we have those like those like good job moments from somebody else, it it helps keep that hope alive. And it helps making it makes it a lot easier on the path to the ultimate overall goal of, of healthy sexual functioning. Yeah, to take those to take those next steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Well, this has been so insightful and so interesting. Yeah. Remind everybody where we can learn more about you, or if somebody does have a question. Sure. So my web address is kanacassard.com, and that's spelled K-A-Y-N-A-C-A-S-S-A-R-D. Dot com. 
You can also email me at kanacassard at gmail.com. And I'm also uh, available to be reached on the phone at 424-272-5521. And I welcome anybody to call me and to just ask if they have any sort of, you know, you know, basic questions about this, um, referrals. I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do consultations. And I also do Skype sessions um, for the psychoeducational piece. I can't do therapy through Skype, but I can do educational pieces and um, sessions through that way to kind of help get somebody on their path to healing. And then I definitely encourage them to work with psychotherapists in their own state, wherever they happen to be. That's so generous. I'll make sure to share that information too in the follow-up blog post. So you guys, if you are listening in the car or something and you want to make sure you can just click on a link or find the phone number, I'll make sure you can find it at augustmclaughlin.com. And I know that hope and peace and happiness are big goals for you in all of your work. Mm -hmm. And you are a very inspiring person. I wonder, I know a lot of people are feeling maybe stressed by the holidays or, or... this world we're living in, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. What's one bit of advice that you would offer really anybody who wants to have more peace and happiness this season? Sure. And as um, as I think about this, I actually think about the recent um, activity that you're doing, which is journaling for gratitude. Like that was the first thing that came to my mind was like, figuring out ways in which we're, we're grateful. And then I remember that you're doing a process of that right now. And so, um, which I just think is so great. And so I think, you know, even jotting down three things each day, three new things each day of what you're grateful for, maybe sharing it with somebody could be a really wonderful healing process through any, any experience that somebody's going through. And, and even if you're not going through a tough experience, just doing it in general is, is really helpful. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. And mm-hmm. thanks again for being here. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I, I love this, this podcast. It's so Yay. great. I hope you'll join me again. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you all for listening. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes so you will never miss a beat. And I hope you'll consider leaving a simple review while you're there. For extras and a whole lot more, again, my website's augustmclaughlin.com or you can go to girlboner.org. Right now, you'll find some sexy holiday gift ideas on my blog and a special from the Pleasure Chest. For more from Dr. Megan, visit greatlifegreatsex.com and find us both on social media. Thank you so much again for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.